everybody. Uh, this is uh, Felix. We're doing a uh, solo one or well, one on two interview today. Uh, we teased during the weekend show that we would have a more in depth conversation about Gaza with people who actually not just knew the situation better than us, but sort of lived it. Uh, and I'm happy to be here today with uh, my friend Rowan Payun. Rowan is a Palestinian American activist, and uh, well, I think we should just hop into it. Um, this is obviously far easier asked than said, but just for people who aren't as familiar, uh, could you give sort of a quick timeline of the political machinations of Israel and USAID in Gaza since Israel's pullout of Gaza in 2005? Yeah, so basically in 2005, Israel moved a few, like the few thousand settlers that were in Gaza as part of like, look at our peace deal, you know, we are giving them so much, what are they going to give us? But I think, and this is something I always try to emphasize to people when we talk about it, is that Israel is very much still in control of Gaza. Like, when people in Gaza need to travel out, they need to like apply to Israel for permission in order to leave and to travel. Um, Israel decides which uh, which goods come in. It's um, it's a blockade, so stuff that could be used to help rebuild from the previous like bombing campaign or f- from two thousand five till now, the like the periodic bombings of Gaza, um, the goods that would that can be brought in in order to help rebuild in order to help do all these things. It's been very difficult for them to do so so that's why you still see things um like the sewage plant that was bombed um in the last in 2014 it's still they haven't really been able to fix that to rebuild it it's that and with the palestinian authority has been working together basically to also to cut like electricity like there isn't a 24-hour constant source of electricity so i think like israel's relationship with Gaza is that it's it's distinct in that it's not occupied in the same way the West Bank is, but it's very much like anybody who thinks that Hamas is like in charge in any meaningful sense and that it's like their territory doesn't really understand the situation on the ground. And obviously the U.S. is complicit in that in allowing Israel to do so. But yeah, I, always important for me to emphasize is that like Palestinian Authority is also not its own thing. It's a subcon. It's like a subcontractor for the Israeli government. And um, the whole like rivalry between Fatah and Hamas, like Fatah is the party for the Palestinian Authority. Hamas is kind of what's like, I guess, the political party that's in Gaza. And it's it's basically just I don't even it's a lot of things. It's weird because it's like when you talk about Israel's relationship with Gaza, it's like, okay, why are they still there? I think a big part of that is like ever since that, like, that pullout, if you will, like now there aren't settlers, but they'll still talk about the settlements that are close to Gaza. Like these are our civilians. These are what we're afraid for. But um, I think part of it is honestly like testing weapons. It's very much part of that industry for them. If you look at the kind of weapons that are used, they like they take these weapons and they start using it in population in Gaza before it ends up being used elsewhere, before it ends up being, like, kind of exported back to the U.S. I think the recent scary things have been what they've been calling butterfly bullets. These bullets that just, like, explode upon impact, and they've been leaving what, like, doctors in Gaza are describing as, like, 
fist-sized holes upon exit. And same with, like, these tear gas drones. Whatever the hell that green gas was that they, they were unleashing on the population of Gaza. And I think part of it, because um, I think you were also asking why they need that population to be subjugated to that extent. I do think a lot of it is... I think it's psychological, too, to be really honest. Because it's like, oh, you have, like, you guys are still talking about this right of return. Like, we're going to show you that this is what you're going to get instead of that. And I think part of just dehumanizing Palestinians as a whole. Like, because when people think, I think in my conversations with people who don't know much about Palestine, I think they think about Gaza first in some ways. And I think to them, it's always, it's either like, okay, it's like, are they terrorists who started it? Or are they civilians who are just defending themselves? So I think part of it is just um, Israel exerting its control in order to say, like, these are, these are the lowers, these are, these are not civilized and humane the way, the way Israelis are. So I think it's a combination of those, of those things. And I think that's kind of how it's, it's really been since 2005. Like those, like increasingly so, the travel restrictions, the what we see now that is described as like this open air prison. Yeah, it um, it seems like there is an ethos of testing weapons there, but also the rising scale of brutality. I've seen it sort of as a way for them to the Israelis to show off their military might after sort of being shown as mortal in Lebanon a little bit. And I also think that there's this sort of escalating game of dehumanization, which is to say when Israel becomes more and more brutal and commits more and more senseless acts, everyone sort of talks along the lines of, oh, they're alienating sort of, uh, uh, you know, more liberal elements. But I think it strengthens – it's it's stupid, yeah, because it's like it strengthens their – their profile with more hardline people because it's like for them, they can go, Oh, well they had to get, look, look at the brutal acts they're making us commit. must be really bad if we have to do this. Worst fucking thing. The worst fucking thing was just seeing these multiple people who are like, like liberal Jews. Like I know if today's really hard for you, know that I'm here for you. I was like, shut the fuck up. Shut the fuck up. Holy yeah, shit. Imagine being that fucking self-centered. It was just it blew my mind. It's like this is so hard for me to defend massacres. I was like, wow, imagine if we all had these kind of problems. Like what the fuck is wrong with you? It really and it's the thing it's weird because it's like this, this it's it's the same shit like in America where people are like look at Trump and it's like no the shit was happening before Trump. Like the same people who want to pin it all on Likud are very upset because they have to face this like this reality that was kind of obvious to the rest of us, which is like Israelis are fucking racist. Israelis are racist as shit. Like they're like obviously there's this element of of Israeli activists who will go to protests and they'll be against the Gaza bombings and all that. And that's great, but it's the idea that there's some sort of like vibrant left is like delusional. It's there's people who cheer it on. Like that was the thing. It's like I think the numbers were like what, ninety one percent of Israelis supported the Gaza bombings? Like, did you see that New York Times shit where it was like yeah. It was like, oh, you know, they, they like, I hope, I hope every bullet was for a good reason. Like, that was, like, the average Israeli's reaction. So the idea is that, like, maybe they're, like, maybe it's becoming more possible for activists and stuff in the U.S. and in the West to call out Israel that, like, 
more than I think we've seen in the past. But like the average Israeli is cheering on this government. Like they they don't like Palestinians. They don't. They are very terrified of Palestinians in Gaza. Like it, it wasn't messing with Netanyahu's popularity at all. I want to actually look up that number. But it was. I really. It's like ninety percent or something like that. I mean, Amos Oz, for example, is looked at as sort of like the liberal lion of Israel. He's their perennial like lefty veteran writer who's standing athwart the increasingly openly rightward shift of the country. But if you look at his actual positions, he supported Lebanon in 06. He supported, uh, two, he supported 2009. He supported protective edge, any military action he supports. And it's, there is, you know, an Israeli left, but it has literally been, beaten down and we can i guess that's a whole nother episode if you can talk about how much the israeli left has been sabotaged and literally murdered to some ends but the fact is that there is very broad support in here and i just speaking about liberals i mean we i think we all saw that tweet I forget who it was from. I think it was from one of those guys who like replies to Trump all the time. <laughs> oh, I know which one. I know which one you're fucking talking. Mikhail. Yeah, Jonah. yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm pro Israel, but I'm not pro massacre. And it's like, what did you think? What do you think? What do you think undergirds this state? It's you know, so fucking bizarre. It's like these are people who are just their biggest frustration at Gaza is not even actually the people who are dying. It's just like, wait, what about me? Am I still a good person? I was like, nobody gives a shit about yes. you. Like you're not. <laughs> Nobody fucking asked you. And like, I don't even know. It's like this whole thing. It's like, especially it's so important when we talk about Gaza that always gets underestimated. It's like, it's almost like people think that the people in Gaza just came out of the sky when it's like 70% of them are refugees. 70% of them were ethnically cleansed from their homes and they want to go back. And it's, it's that the reasons they were there is because of like violence and massacres. Like there were multiple massacres of Palestinian villages. It was at a time where there was no like television or radio. So you just heard about these mass, these awful massacres and you were like, okay, I need to leave before this possibly happens to my family. There are people who've survived massacres who are in Gaza. There are people who just like went through the worst, the worst fucking kinds of violence and that's what that was. Like, I don't know what they think the Haganah and Irgun were doing. They weren't passing out fucking cookies. Like, it was, they, 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 like, wiped these people out. Like, there were way more Palestinians before in these areas. And it's like, they keep forgetting that part. Or they're like, oh, well, they just left because of violence. I'm like, okay, why can't they come back? But everybody else, if they have, like, a link to Judaism, it's like, okay, they're allowed to come back. I don't know. It's just everything about the conference. Because it, it really encapsulates so much about the conflict in general that people always try to, like, minimize. Or it's like, they're like, oh, show restraint. Like, I don't know, they'd be fine if they killed, like, half the Gazans, but not as many as they did? I I just can't imagine what it is to have those kind of, like, fucked up, non-consistent-ass morals. But that's exactly those kind of people, like, that, that weirdo. I, I feel like there is sort of this modern, deliberate misunderstanding of what ethnic cleansing is. I mean, we see it with sort of, with sort of like you know the Turks' incursions into Af into Afrin is the same sort of thing where it's we just willfully don't look at things that you could point to on a map, point to things like shifting demographics, changing entire neighborhoods and cities, their ethnic makeup, doing things like changing the names of places, and just look at the numbers of one group go down and down and down and be replaced and replaced and replaced, and there is a willful, deliberate action of not specifically looking at things by 
sort of U.S. allies or proxies as ethnic cleansing when they so Oh, absolutely. Like the language that they use, like if this was anywhere else, they wouldn't hesitate. They would call it genocide. Like that's just the, the honesty of it. And like, I mean, a, a bunch of people were saying those things, right? Like, oh, if this was Iran, everybody would be cheering it on. If this was this. And it's like, it's true. It's also, I mean, the, the weird thing about Turkey, because also Fethi pointed this out to me as well, but it's weird because this, it's the same shit. Like, you know how Turkey will be like, we didn't do the Armenian genocide. Like, that wasn't a genocide. Like, it just, like, happened or whatever the fuck, like, excuse they have. But then, like, whenever a Turkish person, like, you'll see it. Like, whenever a Turkish person gets pissed, they're, like, at an Armenian for getting, like, too uppity, I guess. They're like, oh, well, we'll do, or to anyone, they're like, oh, we'll do to you what we did to the Armenians. Like, they fucking know what happened, but it's just, like, that official. It's the same shit I see with Israelis, to be honest. Like, they'll be like, the Nekba didn't happen, but then they'll be like, oh, may, uh, you'll hear these chants at, like, Israeli soccer games or shit. Well, they'll be like, may your village burn, or may you face a... Mil-, or at the protests in Haifa. The recent protests in Haifa, in which, like, Israeli cops beat up and arrest a bunch of Palestinians, uh, they were like, oh, may you face a million Nekbas. It's like, what is that if not, like, understanding that happened, but thinking it it's okay? Like, it's not ethnic cleansing if it's justified. Yeah, the line on the Armenian genocide, the, the best line explaining it I heard was my friend Dan who said uh, they can't decide whether it was fake or if it happened and it was that, good. That's so but many genocides, like, isn't you know, it? <laughs> you sell, you see, yes, yes. You sell the myth to the world and then are secretly – not so secretly proud of what actually happened to yourself. I mean, did you – there was a fucking TRT article like this year that was like interviewing survivors of Armenian Armenian violence from oh. the early 20th century. Oh, Jesus. It's it's I, yeah. on the anniversary of the yeah, yeah. I mean that was also what they were doing. I think the the fact that they chose the embassy to be open on this day. I don't think it was an accident. I think it was very much a big like middle finger to us, where it's like. We want this to be the anniversary of this thing and not the anniversary of, you know, the brutality that we committed against you. It's the same fucking thing. It's and it is. It's very true. Like when you look at which other countries would get this treatment, it's Israel gets away with so much that and they, they'll be like, oh, my God, why is Israel being singled out? I was like, nobody gets this fucking special favor the way you guys like you're singled out in the positive. Like you're literally allowed to get away with so much shit. That if somebody that wasn't loved by the U.S. like this, like, no fucking way would they get away with it. Like, no fucking way. Yeah, it's this thing that happens. It, well, it's a very sort of like, I guess, very American thing where you look at events devoid of any power relationship. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. You, you, go, you go, say, why is Israel being singled out as if Israel was just this eternal nation that has always existed and exists independent of American support and exists independent of carrying out American policy goals in the region. We just have nothing to do with the most powerful nation in the world just has absolutely nothing to do with it. And we are randomly singling out this one Jewish country. And it's, it's insane. The amount of contortion and willful blindness you have to do to sort of make that. It's always, I never get used to it. Like, you know, I've been Palestinian all my life and I've been, (laughs) if you can believe it. And I've been doing like this kind of, activism and stuff for a long time and dealing with these arguments for a long time and still the levels of just like i just want to poke some of these people like are what are you talking about it really is it's the whole thing about like oh or my favorite is just the whole like 
oh well what about like saudi arabia like clearly you must be cool with saudi arabia like what about all these other countries it's like they also can't decide whether they are like better than all the like savage arab countries or if it's like how dare you hold us to higher standards and it's uh, especially now that they're the fucking Mohammed bin salman the asshole and netanyahu are like loving it up and they're still like well what about all these other countries i was like the fact that you're even pointing these other it's like weird it's like it's an admission of guilt but what about like this other thing i don't it's also there's just all the arguments they have at least that's what makes me happy is like all the arguments they have only work on people who don't want to actually think about what's happening and they're they're not even like updated they're just terrible like anyone with any sort of minimal knowledge on this i think should reach the conclusion that what they're saying is not really making much sense yeah they are acting like king faisal is still in Fucking charge of hell. saudi arabia it's <laughs> there's even so yeah so, who has a pretense of caring about it i love it it's, the thing is it's like these other fucking arab dictators like love them like who are they gonna talk about cc or like oh i don't know if you saw this but like they're always like oh why are why are palestinians in gaza like why are they protesting israel closing the crossing and not egypt closing the crossing i'm like oh, but they are like i don't know where they got this idea that palestinians like fucking love other arab governments but it's it's part of that whole like it's just the racism where they're like, oh, well, they're all Arab. They must, like, be in on whatever, like, the plan is together. They must be in it for the same things. As if, like, I like a Palestinian is in any way the same situation as, like, a Saudi Arabian just because they're both Arab. Like, it doesn't, like, I don't, it's the, all the arguments they have. It just pisses me off to no end. So, uh, going a little bit to May 14th, what has been, like, day-to-day existence like for a Gazan? since uh the pull out daily existence honestly it's just constant constant dehumanization like it's or constant just like the lack of the bare sort of necessities of life it's always been really frustrating for me like talking to my friends in Gaza and they might as well be like on another planet because it's like I can't go see them they can't go see me I have friends in there who just desperately want to leave and they're just not able to do so because you have to apply for these permits. And it's very, very like people, I, people on are on these wait lists to get out for like medical reasons and they're not able to do so. Like even to go to a hospital in Ramallah, like not even to go to an Israeli hospital, like as much as they try to hold that over our heads, it's and they're not allowed to do so. Like they're the reality, like day to day reality in Gaza is like if you get really sick, your hospitals are going to be like understaffed they're gonna have like even though like the the doctors where they are doing amazing but it's they have so little to work with there's gonna like not enough people not enough supplies medicine is blocked from coming in so if you need that kind of medicine you're basically screwed unless you're like you're one of the lucky ones who gets a permit to leave and go to a hospital that can do it i think also like if we're talking about may 14 the reality is that there are so many people that were injured that should have lived that should have made it with the injury they had but they weren't allowed to go to a hospital that had that kind of treatment or like the hospitals were so impacted that they couldn't deal with the amount of injuries. Like it's so weird because it's like everyone looks at the number of like the people who were killed, but like the thousands were injured and where are they going to go? And the hospitals can't even like deal with that. So that's the reality. If you're sick or if you're injured, if you dare to like protest against the reason that you're even in this situation, I think another reality is just is it's always the electricity cuts like you can't keep you can't keep food from not spoiling 
it's hot as fuck and they don't have AC. They don't have these kind of... I think I saw somebody else. I forgot who said this, but somebody said something where like people in, in Gaza, um, they learn to keep the windows open no matter what the weather is like because if the windows are closed and there's some kind of bombing or there's some kind of anything, like the glass is going to shatter and go everywhere. So you just keep the windows open so that you don't... so that glass doesn't get everywhere. That's part of it too. It's it's like it's a lot of things. It's and also right now, see how the the Palestinian Authority was screwing people over. Um, they weren't allowing. They they were sort of uh, putting a stop on a lot of people's salaries. So um, it was just people weren't even having like the money. Now you're threatened with like getting evicted. Probably it's like so weird to think about that. Like you can get evicted. You don't have the money. Where are you going to go? All these kind of things. The mental health crisis in Gaza is is completely, just completely, like, not talked about nearly enough, I don't think. Because it's we're so busy trying to defend people from being like, oh, these are terrorists who deserve to die. They don't even think about the ones who survived, who have, who have been through multiple wars, who've seen really awful things, who've seen their family members, their neighbors, their friends die. So now you have, like, a suicide crisis. Like, you have multiple people who've committed suicide because they're like, there's no end to this this suffering. Um, like, the, I don't know if you heard about recently a man in Gaza who set himself on fire as a protest, like, trying to kill himself. I think last I heard he was, um, he's still alive. I don't know how long he could stay alive, but he's still alive. And just, like, that was done out of, like, this protest. And it's, it's, it's hellish. It's hellish. It's really... I don't think there even are enough words and it's really bizarre to think that people would defend this kind of situation because it's like they would never want to live in these kind of conditions. Like they would never accept that for themselves or for anybody else. And it's weird, like protesting is the fucking least they could do. Like protesting is the least, it's, it's bizarre. Like the entire conversation around it, once you know what's actually the lives of people there. I feel like a large part of the picture here that gets overlooked uh by people who just take that, you know, I don't like massacres line is not looking at the power relationship here. So could you talk a little bit on the economic relationship? Well, I guess relationship may be the wrong word, but the role that economic exploitation on Israel's part plays on uh plays with their relationship with Gaza, because there is, you know, a lot Israel benefits a lot from Palestinians, both on guest worker permits and uh, undocumented Palestinian labor yeah. where they can pay them even less. It's like, I think it's like a lot of the things that the PA does too is pretty much at Israel's behest. Like, so when we talk about these people who aren't getting their salaries, like that's very much an attempt to, to sort of choke, like choke these Palestinians out basically. Um, it's that, and even like the people who pay for those visas, like to get out, like you'll you can end up paying all kinds of these fees and then like not even get that visa to leave. I think there were multiple like uh, there was a series uh, I guess I don't know maybe about a year ago about like Palestinian students who were accepted in in Gaza who were accepted into schools outside of Gaza and just like paying all this kind of money for these money that they just didn't like didn't have for these fees to be able to leave and not even able to do so. If we're talking about in general how how Israel exploits Palestinians. Something that always would fear in like infuriate me was 
basically a lot of the Palestinians who work like among Israelis or like in Israeli companies and these things, they have to pay the fees to be in the union, but they don't get the same protection from the union. And I could look that up too. So it's like they have like you have to pay these union fees and then the union doesn't even defend you the way it defends Jewish Israelis. So that's part of it. I know you were asking in general about like if Israel like needs um, needs Palestinians in order to like prop this up. I think there is the weird thing also it's not even just like the exploitation of the workers. It's that I the more you sort of look at the reality here, I think they need like a population to buy their their goods, their produce and how they push it in the yes. West Bank. And it's like frustrating when you go to these like different grocery stores and they have all these Israeli products and they'll work to make sure that they're cheaper than say like the Palestinian products or the Arab products. So you have these people who are like, okay, well I can't afford um to to not get these products and then it just helps boost their economy. And that's definitely true in Gaza too. And in Gaza, like it's not just in the West Bank. In Gaza, I don't know if you saw recently, I, for, I forgot which Israeli of government official said this. I probably like that fucking idea of Twitter account. But it was like, oh, look, we, o- we opened the humanitarian yeah. crossing and these are the goods we're letting in. And it's like, they'll basically shove their own goods. Like first they'll put people under the, like, they'll injure all these people, they'll kill all these people, they put all these people through all this like economic strain through these daily hardships and then they will open the crossing every time they're in the mood to and they'll they'll shove basically their own products in and they'll make Gazans buy it's really like dystopian they just they will sell them these things and that's it also ends up just being profitable for them in the end I so I think in a certain sense they are more than happy to have this population to exploit as long as they can continue dehumanize as long as they can continue this idea that people aren't even asking when the hell the occupation is supposed to end like the occupation like the concept of an occupation is supposed to have like an expiry date but they're not even doing anything to make that to make that happen because the status quo is good for them the status quo is it works like this is what their economy is their economy is mostly fucking like arms and then selling their goods like in big part to Palestinians and so they don't they're they don't need the occupation to end it's like everything so that's also undermines like when you talk about like a peace process or proposals or anything I'm like it's more the ball is in their court in this way it's like they have everything is working in their favor like they have no incentive to really change that to really change the way they're acting yeah I feel like another sort of understated part out of the utility that Israel gets out of Palestinians is it's a useful comparison point for them, which is to say they have an entire group of people that they can define who is white by, by just virtue of them not being Palestinian. And, you know, one of the more underlooked aspects of Israel, and I feel like it's been discussed less because it's, you know, it just, so alt-right and i feel like people are trying to make the distinction between you know pluralist israel pluralist liberal israel versus the alt-right even though it's the same governing principles of an ethno state they are terrified of being outbred oh yeah by oh Arabs. man that's, i have a that's, whole thing about that yeah demographic the, fucking threat could you imagine any fucking country saying that like keeping track of how many like brown babies there are and freaking the fuck out just so openly yeah and you know because, you know, there really aren't a whole bunch of Jews in the world. There are a lot, but not a whole bunch. And, 
you you can sort of like don't you don't need to have you know what what is a Jew is a whole other question. Is it an ethnic identity? Is it a religious identity? But the fact is, for the purpose of Israel, it just is white in that context. So I think for the future, it's just anyone who comes there is going to be Jewish. Their their term for white in their world, whether they you know read the Torah or their their mom was Jewish, all these other old rules that they're going to throw out. And it's not that it's getting more inclusive. It's just that they need to keep pace with what they see as a rising demographic threat. It's like America, you know, how many of these alt-right losers, how many of them are like, you know, uh, Croatian or something? It's like, do you think you were white 80 years ago? No, they just had to expand the definition. And now you are, you, you are... (laughs) That's right. Oh my the god! Did gate, you see that fucking gatekeeper cartoon? Gatekeeper of what is white or not? Did you see that like fucking no. cartoon where it was like it was like a Viking and then like a uh, what the fuck is what's the word for that? Uh, the the people who did the fucking what the fuck crusades? Jesus, I forgot the word for crusades. Yeah, like, uh, they like they're like I want you to remember your history, and it was like these four like figures that were just like had no nothing to fuck to do with each other, but I guess they decided they were all white. There was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I did see that one. I did see that one. That oh, I'll find hilarious. it. I'll find it. And I'll send it to you. But that yes. was, that's basically, I mean, and I will also find this and send it to you because it's important. It was somebody, it was somebody speaking on why he thinks apartheid doesn't apply to Palestine, which like I would say what the situation is apartheid. But like the interesting points that he had, though, were like basically the way he, because Zionism was there before the Holocaust, right? He was saying how you know, the vision that Herzl and the original fucking racist as Zionist had was like, we're going to have our pure white, like European Jewish state. Like he's like, okay, I'm not being treated as a white man in Europe. Like I'm Jewish, but I still, I, his issue with that was like, I'm just as sophisticated as the whites. Like that was basically it. He was like, so the original view of Zionism did not fucking want Ethiopian Jews. Like that was not even a concept to them. Like they didn't want all these kind of other Jewish people in. But the reality, the way he put it was basically, be, there were a lot less European Jews after the Holocaust. Like this awful brute reality of it and so he's like so that's when they needed to expand the definition and take in sort of like these other jewish people that would nor like mizrahi and Sephardim and all these other kinds of and like ethiopian jews and now uh second generation converts like if you convert to judaism you're not like we were just talking about this today too if you convert to judaism you're not welcome but um if you're if your parents converted and you were born a jew then you can come in and that's not always like the traditional example so they've kind of expanded it that way i have i I met someone he was a um he was a white guy from australia but his grandfather was jewish and according to him he like never practiced or anything but um he went like this guy when he realized he wanted to like do work in palestine he went to a rabbi and he gave him like this story about his grandpa and he said he was saying that this didn't actually happen about his grandpa um uh, like being buried in an Orthodox cemetery and all this, and and then now he got this visa, and it's basically like the try before you buy visa, where it's like you get this visa that you can come in to Israel for like maybe two years or something like that to see if you want to be an Israeli citizen. And the fact that they're even doing that is just like they want, they do, they don't, they want to outnumber us so badly. And the fact that it, Palestinians, the Palestinian citizens of Israel, they can't like marry a Palestinian in the West Bank and give them Israeli citizenship. They can't marry someone in, in Gaza and give them and give them Israeli citizenship, so they don't want that 
population to increase. And I think also what you were saying about um, about like trying to set it up like it's white and like that's what you will be subjected to. I think the weird thing is because uh, Palestinian citizens of Israel, like in some ways, they have like slightly more like legal, like they have more legal protections or however you want to put it. Obviously, still marginalized as fuck. Obviously, still like oppressed as hell because they're Palestinian. But it was. I think it's really important to look at when they were doing those protests, like what were the counter protesters saying? The, pro- the counter protesters were saying, why don't you go to Gaza? What does that mean? It's know your place. It's you could be going through a yeah. lot worse. It's a, it's a fucking threat. It's a threat. It's saying that like, oh, you guys are look, you're living like they're they're like holding it over your head. Like, hey, you're living in Haifa, you're living in Yaffa. Like, would you prefer to be living in the open air prison? I don't fucking think so. And I think that is also a really important thing. It's, I think, to keep, it's to try to keep the Palestinian population, the ones who have, like, the Israeli passports and citizenship, to try to keep them in line, too. And I think, like, in general, it's like, oh, well, look at us, we are so civilized and nice, and look at the hell they're in. Like, trying to, like, they want to paint that sort of picture, like, oh, well, it could be worse, you know? Well, yeah, all... I think, circling back to sort of, like, the definition of Jewish identity, I mean... It just all all fascism is you're yearning for a past that never existed. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And the the idea of, of like this unified Jewish people is hilarious. It's hilarious. I mean, like <laughs> like you said, like Herzl's initial idea was for like a white Jewish state, and then all right, well, I guess we need these people that we don't like to create our ethno state dream. But it's like even among white Jews. You know, at that time, there was this huge divide. And you still see some of it. I mean, you know the term, the slur kike? Yeah. It was invented by German Jews to describe Russian Jews, who they saw as like... I actually didn't you know, know the, that. The, the, they, they, you know, to look at them as like the embarrassing rednecks of European Jews. I mean, definitely, like, the idea that if there were more European Jews, they would have welcomed in Ethiopian Jews is just, like, not... I mean, there's still Ethiopian... Absolutely not. The fact that Ethiopian Jews were getting... They were still getting, like, fucking sterilized. They were still going through all this shit. The fact that Mm -hmm. they kidnapped Yemeni Jewish babies, like, they weren't united in that way. Like, they wanted it to be because they needed the numbers. But, I mean... Okay, have you ever heard of a book called The Lemon Tree? Uh, no, I haven't. I bring it up because it was basically a journalist, um, like this professor, he was going and he was interviewing um, a Bulgarian Jewish family who, after the Holocaust, uh, moved to to what's now known as Israel. And they were like living in this Palestinian's house. And they were also interviewing the Palestinians who lived in that house and were ethnically cleansed out. And it was this really weird thing. They were like interviewing the girl who grew up in that house that belonged to the Palestinian family and the Palestinian man. But the weirdest fucking thing was like this li- this girl, like when she was young, she was saying how bewildered she was when she like even as a kid when she got to Israel because she was hearing slurs being thrown out against like the Mizrahi Jewish people and Sephardi Jew. And she was saying that they gave us this like they painted us this image like even in schools and things where they were like this is the strong Jewish Israeli. And, I mean, I think you know a little bit about how they see diaspora Jews. They're like, oh, look, they're weak, they're this, they kind of deserve their oppression versus the Israeli Jew. But the thing that she said that always, that stood out to me years after I read it was she was like, the way they drew him was like with fucking blonde hair and blue eyes. Like, like that's just so insane to think about when you, can't, like, you look at these people 
like a lot of them had survived the Holocaust, but like their idea of the ideal Jewish man was like he is strong, he is fit, he works on the land, and like look at him, he has like this blonde hair and his blue eyes. Like this is like a pure like Ashkenazi image, and it's like part of that racism that obviously still persists till today. Yeah, that the the whole I mean Ellie Valley, his yeah his stuff is his, good. His di- diaspora boy comic is so good. I love it that a lot. End. Yeah. That one's great. That it's great. I mean, that whole dichotomy that the ultra Zionists created is so funny because it's like, well, what do you do? What do you think Jared Kushner is? Isn't he like every <laughs> nasty stereotype of like a diaspora Jew who doesn't care about Israel? It's just, you know, like all fascism, it just makes no sense. It, but it's it, it doesn't darkly really funny. It, it, it's so weird because it's like. It fucking sucks because it's like you look at all these things they say and you want to laugh at how ridiculous it is, but it's like, holy shit, people believe it. And it has like this kind of real effect on us on the ground. But you still, it's just like the arguments they have are just like bizarre. I think I always get frustrated that that line they throw out where it's like, no matter what sort of like fucking atrocity has happened against Palestinians, they're like, okay, well, does Israel have a right to exist? Like, so you're saying it doesn't? I was like, what What fucking other country even uses that logic? Like, where, where do we use that anywhere else? Does anyone sit here talking about, okay, criticize the DPRK, but, like, does North Korea have the right to exist? Does Syria have the right to exist? Like, they don't use that anywhere else, but it's supposed to be for Israel. It's like, why doesn't it have the right to exist? I was like, no, it doesn't have the fucking right to exist. Like, people have rights. Like, states don't have fucking rights. Like, do you, it's, it's bizarre. It really is, and all of it. It's just, like, every sort of logical thing that they try to come up with it really, it, it like, the goal of it is just, like, oh, it just comes down to this very crude thing that we're seeing right now with the coverage of the protests of, of Gazans, of Palestinians in Gaza, where it's basically, look at the savage Arabs, they're terrorists, and look at the Israelis, they, they just want to live, they love life, Palestinians don't love life, they just throw their kids out and whatever, and that's basically, that's, like, I think that's the thing about right now is that they have to sh- sort of show the naked truth of it. I think that's the difference. Like, the people who are coming out and saying, like, oh, I support Israel, I don't support massacres or whatever. But I think we are seeing more people catching on. At least I hope so. I think the co- I think it looks different. I don't know. Like, it's I, I'm not even, like, old or nothing. Like, I'm 21. But I still feel like there's a huge difference in the way people talk about it now versus the way they talked about it when I was a kid. So I think that's always yeah. really good. I'm always, you know, faulty on how I totally like I feel like our our own memories could be faulty sometimes but my underlying fear is that I did see a lot of critical of Israel talk in 2006 and 2007 not I will say I do not remember it being as pointed and prevalent as now because the internet wasn't quite what it was now but I do sometimes have a fear that westerners and americans in particular they are more prone to sort of bring this up when there is a Republican president they point to yeah. and say, you support this. And they don't – I don't know if they're quite ready to make the step of going, our government supports this independent of who is president. But, you know, I hope I'm wrong about that. I hope that people are taking a, a, a deeper look at it. I get pessimistic about this stuff, stuff sometimes because I think it's very culturally difficult for Americans to take this on, I think there's a lot of resistance from us thinking like that. We, even when we criticize things we do, we sort of believe our own mythology a lot. Mm-hmm. Our own mythology is a benevolent people. But I don't know. I, again, I really hope I'm wrong. 
The weird thing is, it's that, I don't know, some, like, there are days where I have where it feels like it's just looks like kind of hopeless i don't know like if you were just like chilling a normal i don't know if you notice the difference when you're not on the internet it's just like okay yeah like especially like looking at the the protests that we went to i don't know like we like i was in the west bank i'm here in ramallah we tried to do that march to colombia we didn't make it before we got a bunch of fucking tear gas thrown at us and it's like that was kind of a way where it's like okay they're not gonna let us they won't even let a protest happen. And it, it, that day was really frustrating because it, it just felt like not enough was happening. But at the same time, though, I think I do think that um, some of the numbers are changing in our favor. Like, I, especially like I think that one of the demographics to look at is like young American Jews. I definitely they're nowhere near as like hardcore Zionists as their parents and grandparents were. And that's always a really good thing to look at. Um, I do, th- I do think it's making some headway. Like, I know there was, like, I, and the thing is about 2014 and stuff is, for example, like, a lot of the people I talk to now who are fully pro-Palestine, like, some of them tell me, like, they were Zionists before 2014, and now they don't even identify as that. So I, it's weird to think that, like, Israel goes to these measures to try to, like, crush uh, Gaza, but it just ends up, like, exposing who they are i think to more people and i think also just looking at the people you have to convince like the, what you were saying about the american americans like believing their own mythology i think that's why you have to combat american racism at the same time like i don't think you can choose because it's like the reason obviously that so many americans are going to cape for the settler colony is because like america's a fucking set, like america did what it did like it genocide um committed genocide against native americans it enslaved people and there's still all these like really horrible racist practices today. I think like that's why it has to be the simultaneous thing. Is like the more you get, the more people you get to see that it's not just Trump, and it would have been magical if it was Hillary. It would have even been magical if it was Bernie. It's the more I think that you can make them see um, to see the truth about about what Israel is. It's just you have to force Americans to confront their own racist path too. I think it has to be the simultaneous thing. Yeah. Um... Because yeah, no, 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 no country, no oppression is obviously exactly alike. Oh, yeah, so there is such a right, such a similar dynamic with how whiteness is defined, how the utility you know we get out of whether whatever ethnically cleansed or genocided or subjugated people. Um, I was going to ask you know to give a walkthrough of May Fourteenth, but I think people are pretty familiar with it now. So I guess. Sort of in closing, I would like to ask you, you know, in in your best of worlds, what does politically, what does it look like for Palestinians going forward? In like what I want, the best of worlds. Yeah, well, yeah. I think what's best for us and what's even kind of like the most realistic, it really is, is the one state. It, like, mm-hmm. I think that's what it has to be. Like, I think to me, the conflict cannot be solved without the right of return for Palestinian refugees because that gets to the core of what the issue with Zionism is. Zionism is like what we were talking about, has that obsession with the demographic threats and the too many Arabs. I think of something I all, it was always fun to hear. It's like, oh, how could they be committing genocide against Palestinians in Gaza if the population has increased, which is bizarre way to measure if you're killing a bunch of people from one group or not. But like... So going like the reason that they keep making those arguments is because they are obsessed with how many Jewish Israelis there are and how many Palestinians there are. And so and that's also why there's so much pushback against the right of return. So I think once 
once enough buildup happens for that, and once it happens, it will get right through like the racist logic of Zionism. It was first like the the right of return for Palestinian refugees who had a history here, who um, who had their lives here. I, we need to look at compensation. Uh, compensation for that's also protected anyways in UN Resolution 194 compensation for Palestinian refugees because a lot of their homes don't exist anymore like a lot of homes don't exist anymore a lot of villages don't exist anymore so how does that look like how do we try to compensate people for this I think uh, this this Israeli nonprofit Zohrat and they're working with Badil human rights resources like all these groups have already been sort of mapping out areas in Palestine to build new villages and new cities in to welcome in new Palestinians. So right of return is just such a huge thing. And then just having like the basis of the state not be not be Zionism, not be this kind of ideology. It has to be something that will make it so that it's possible for both these people to like live in equality, to have that sort of protection not be based on your ethnicity or on your religious group. It really is just like the one state Preferably secular, like democratic, both like all uh, like the people who are now like Israelis, Palestinians, all living in this one place. And, you know, obviously it would be minus like these checkpoints, minus these, this wall. There wouldn't be a need for that. And that's the reason there's a, they see a need for that now is because of Zionism. So I just think that has to be challenged. And that's really that's really the way forward is just pushing forward for this idea that you can't keep having... Uh, you can't keep having this entity that's based on this really on this kind of ideology that this unsustainable military like militarized like enforcement of that either. I think that's really what it is. Like so many of us talk about the one state. I think anybody who's still talking about the two state is full of shit, which is why like when these politicians still talk about it, they're just they're full of it. Like where when they're still talking about like did you see how they were talking about maybe Abu Dis being being the capital of like a Palestinian state? There's never going to be a Palestinian state like that's separate from the Israeli state. So, yeah, I think for me it really is that like that's why the, I'm really passionate about the right of return especially because it's it, that's the justice, that's how justice is served out. Could you talk a little I this is something I've always been very interested in the sort of debate between the one state and two state and I you know, I think my contribution really doesn't really matter less who gives a shit what I want kind of but I have always kind of thought like, yeah, one state would be the way to go. And you just couldn't have in Israel that exists as an ethno state if there is one state. But could you uh, just go through some, some of the reasoning behind not wanting a second state? Yeah, it's weird. I think the reason part of why I have the perspective I do is because I pretty much grew up completely after the Oslo Accords. And I grew up with the failure of the Oslo Accords. I grew up with seeing, like, they, I don't know, like, the, the, you know, the Palestinian Authority was supposed to be fucking temporary. I think it was supposed to last, like, mm-hmm. five, and now it's been, like, 25 years, and seeing what a fucking nightmare it is. No, n- no Palestinians are, like, Palestinians are not fucking happy with Abbas. They're not happy with this, this, like, quasi-government that, like, is supposed to be in charge of education and healthcare or whatever, but has no actual say in security. We have no borders. We have no anything. So I just remember, like, even, um, God, like, I once there's this like, competition for, like, Middle Eastern peace and shit, and everybody thought it was so fucking weird that I wrote about a one state. This was, like, maybe five years ago. And they were like, oh, don't you want a state? And I was like, I mean, it's not even, I want 
like justice like it's it was always bizarre to me because the thing about the two state that never made sense to me personally is because it seemed to be rewarding that kind of ethnic cleansing and the injustices i don't understand how you're supposed to be right next door to a state that says you and your people don't exist and if they do they're terrorists and we need to eliminate them i don't see how that was supposed to be feasible for us ever um like that's why that part of it never made sense to me i never made sense to me like i know at the beginning they were talking about like letting in palestinian refugees in a two-state framework but it never happened and i think it never happened for a reason is because they just can't they zionism can't handle that even if it's in a state right next to it and i think that also like the biggest thing that kind of seemed clear to me for years now is it's a de facto one state anyways it's just fucking over us like like I'm here in the like the whole like, concept of like area A, area B, area C. It's like a bunch of us don't like a bunch of Palestinians here don't even know if they're in area A, area B, area C because it doesn't fucking matter. Like I, I can be in area A, like I was in area A, which is supposed to be just the PA and not Israel, and I still see like a 13 year old boy getting like fucking strip searched by Israeli soldiers. Like what the fuck does it mean to be in area A when Israeli soldiers can go wherever the fuck they please, anyways? So it's just like it's a one state reality. That's the biggest thing, and it's just not. Like, I don't see how we were ever supposed to live right next to, supposedly, uh, like, this ideology that was doesn't want us to exist, especially with the fucking settlements. The thing, the weirdest thing to me about seeing people still talk about the two-state is that, like, they no, they never really talked about what we were supposed to do about the settlements. I was like, were you guys actually, do you actually think you're going to evacuate out 600,000 settlers? Because I don't see any talk about that. I see a lot of condemnation about what Palestinians do. I don't see, I see only vague shit about how the settlements are illegal but nothing about what to actually do about them so it's like they're already here like they already live here we're already subjected to this it's just like the difference is that it's a one state that's not in our favor so it's much easier to do that than to try to do this two state thing that's not even feasible anyways yeah it always seemed to me like you know hey you know the pa that sort of corrupt uh gray market operating israeli proxy what if it was bigger? Okay, happy now? <laughs> it's so... I even know... It's so funny because it's like... I think it's technically supposed to be, like, illegal here to fucking criticize Abbas, but, like, if you wanted to arrest everybody in the West Bank who hated Abbas, like, it would take a while. So, like, I don't know... It, it was always... And again, it's like the thing to me about the right of return. I was like, okay, so are we just saying, oh, okay, you did ethnically cleanse the land, but you can keep it. And it's also just ignoring how much... Israel has always ignored partition plans anyway. Like, the the original UN partition plans that gave them, like, more of the land, even though they were, le- like, in terms of population, they were, like, 30% or something like that. It's... They never listened to that anyways. Like, they were like, oh, okay, whatever, these are our partition plans. And then they went and ethnically cleansed people out of the areas that were never in their partition plan anyways. Like, this is an entity that's never given a shit about that. It's, it's like, that's the part of Zionism that looks exactly fucking, like, Manifest Destiny to me. They see all the land as theirs. Like, logically, how are you supposed to counter that if you still allow, if you still, like, don't do anything about what they did, if you still allow them to kind of get away with that in that way? It's like, oh, you took over that land by force and you killed all these civilians and you did all this stuff? Like, that's fine. Like, it's not. Like, you have to, you can't keep doing this, like, weird reform shit. You have to tackle this stuff at the source. Yeah, it's, that is, yeah, that's the other weird part of it, too. It's like, you're right next to the ethno state that is ethnically cleansed. Not just give them a lit, just give them 
they can have the amount of ethnostate they have now. They're not going to do anything weird. Don't worry. It's like, why would we ever trust that? They never listened to that. And it's, the entire premise of it is bizarre. It's because it really is. It's like, oh, I guess Palestine. Like, they're, like, begrudging. They couldn't get away with saying that Palestinians don't exist. They were like, okay, you exist, but be grateful with these crumbs. Like, that's the thing with the, the whole, like, peace process thing. Like, the whole two-state is, like, they want to give us these, like, fucking Bantistans that are have no sovereignty. And it never made sense because it's, like, when I... Like, I'm not allowed in the Tel Aviv airport. I have to come in through Jordan. Like, when I come in through Jordan, it's not Palestinians who are stamping my passport or looking at what I am or asking me what I'm doing or anything like that. It's just really these anyways. So it's like they wanted us to be satisfied. I don't know, like, the metaphor I always use, it's like if somebody broke into your fucking house and they were like, oh, what, you don't want to live in the, like, you know what, I'll live in this half of the house. You want to live in the other half of the house. Like, oh, are you, you're being really unreasonable for saying that, like, this is a problem like that's pretty much all of what israel has done to us and they want us to be like oh yes that's fine it's like it no it's not it's not realistic especially since you guys have sucked so fucking badly at getting rid of us like they're so freaked yeah. out they, they, that's the thing it's like they ethnically cleanse all these people out yeah and they did all these really awful things but it's like they're so upset because the especially in if you look at jerusalem they the jerusalem 2020 plan was like okay we want palestinians to be at like less than 20 what was the, their goal from the fucking 70s was like 25%. We're 40% in now. And that's after they demolished a bunch of people's homes. That's after they take people's ID cards. Another thing they were doing is they were trying to get people to spy for Israel and saying like, oh, if you spy for us, we'll let you live in Jerusalem. Like, for example, like a woman from the West Bank married someone from Jerusalem and they deported her because to the West Bank. They were like, oh, OK, well, you don't want to spy for us. You can't live with your husband and kids. Like after all. And that's like a common thing. Like after all these home demolishments, all that we're like Palestinians still make up 40 percent of Jerusalem. And the fact that we're our numbers, like if you look at all, not even looking at Palestinian refugees that live outside, it's like Palestinians in the West Bank and in Gaza and, like, the 20% that make up Israel now, it it pisses them off so much. It pisses Likud off so fucking much. And not even just Likud. It pisses off, like, really just Israel as the, like, as the entity. It's like, what the fuck? Like, they were supposed to be way less of you by now. Like, you fuckers breathe like rabbits. Like, I don't know. Like, you know all the shit they say about us. So it's like, you've, you've already sucked so bad. It's like, you ha you act like you can keep this up forever when you can't. And that was another thing in the video I'm going to send to you about the guy who said that, um, you know, in in South Africa, white people depended on on black labor and they were the minority. Well, there's more of Israelis and the whole idea about um, whether they depend on their labor or why they expanded to to have Zionism include like non-European Jews. It like that was the kind of thing he said in that videos is that like the logical conclusion is to try to get rid of us all, but they are going to fail. Like, I don't think they can pull it off. They want to, they wish they could like literally make us disappear, but they just, they fucking sucked really bad at it. Like that's the reality. There's a lot of us motherfucker. And that's just, that's why, that's why I really think like the one state is the future I'm going to see in my lifetime. Like I believe that. Yeah. I, I hope so too. Um, well, Ron, thank you so much. That was that was great. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me.
Oh, oh, oh.